Hi, I'm Jeff Watts, and I wanted to welcome you to the Renaissance Podcast. We are so excited that you have chosen to listen and join with us as we strive to reach the heart of our city with the truth and love of Jesus. And we know that God is doing amazing things in our community, and I am blown away at how many people have told me that Renaissance has provided a place for them to rediscover Jesus. It's given them a caring church family to be a part of, and has helped to transform their lives. If you're one of the men and women who have been encouraged, helped, and strengthened because of what's happening here at Renaissance, then I'd like to ask you to become an investor in what God is doing in our city. And here's one way that you can do that. Go to rendicatororg backslash give and make a commitment to be a part of showing the people of the city of Decatur the truth of Jesus and how much he loves them. Enjoy the podcast and thank you so much for being a part of this community. Hello, everyone. How are you? Good? Good. It's so great to see all of you. My name is Jeff. I'm one of the leaders here at the church. It's um, a pleasure of mine to teach from Scripture today, which is, if you're visiting Renaissance, this is something we take pride in every week. We love the music, and we love the community, and the lattes. Say amen. Yes, yes. We are, we are getting dangerously close to pumpkin spice latte season. It is the fourth person of the Trinity, if that's a thing. I don't It's a real thing here at the church. So anyways, but... Um, Beyond all of those things that we do appreciate and like so much, um, you guys being one of them, it's really looking into the Word of God, the Scriptures, that is probably my favorite thing to do. So if you have a Bible with you, then I encourage you to turn to John chapter 13, John chapter 13. If you didn't bring a Bible with you, that's fine. If you'll look underneath the seat close to you, maybe in front of you, you'll find a hardback black Bible, and in that Bible, you can turn to page 900. And that'll help you get there. But we're in John chapter 13, and I'm going to read a little bit of a story. Now, it's going to take me a while to get there, so you can get to John chapter 13. Just put your thumb in that spot and and wait for me to get there. But this week is the third week of a a three-week series that we've entitled Core Values. Um, The first week, we just sort of came out of the gate saying this. That the things that you do in life, the things that I do in life, the things that we all do in life are determined by those things that we value. Like every thrust forward, every decision you make is, is driven by the things that you value in life. And so you try to go after those things. And, and we as a church are no different in that. And so we've decided just to write down three of these core values. They are by no means exhaustive. It's not all of the values we have. We have many more, but we took these three primary values and just set them like stakes in the ground and tied ourselves to them. So then as we, like uh, as a church, almost like a dog tied to a stake in the yard can only travel so far. You know, dogs can, can get in trouble if they run around and do whatever they want in the neighborhood. And we said, we don't want to do that. We are staking ourselves to these three values. And the first week we talked about core value number one, because of Jesus which I think is a great one to start with. Yes, yes. Uh, In fact, if you were to ask most churches in the city, you know, are are the things that, are the ministries that you're doing in your church because of Jesus, they would probably say yes. And we're thankful that they would say yes. We say yes to that, but we went one step further. We wrote it down so that we don't forget it. Yes, because of Jesus. Hear me. Renaissance exists because of Jesus. We, we believe that it was his desire. I had a friend, I had lunch with another pastor in town this last week, and I was sharing the story of how Renaissance started. And I looked him in the eyes and I said, I said, you need to know this. Decatur did not need another church. I know that there's 160 plus of them already. 
But what God wanted for me was to plant a church so that he could grow me into the person that he wanted me to become. And that I might lead a group of people like you, that we might all become friends and and God would grow all of us up into the image of Jesus, which then leads us to our second value, that growing people change. I mean, living things grow, we'd all admit that, that if, if something is not growing, you would say then it's obviously dead. And we went one step further. We say growing people change. There's a constant fluidity to our lives as growing people. And this is the most encouraging thing to us because know this, I'll, I'll go ahead and raise my hand. You don't have to do this, but if I ask this question of you, how many people would admit that they do things that they do not wish they did? All right, Friday night, anyone? Let me me refresh your memory. Last night, anyone? Yes, for many of us, that's true. But but if we come back to this second stake in the ground, if we come back to the second value that says growing people change, and we change not, we change through the power of the Holy Spirit. It's an implied part of this value that it is in fact the Holy Spirit inside of us who's, who's adapting us and changing us and conforming us into the image of Jesus Christ. But when we look at that change in our life, we don't look back with shame nor condemnation or, or even feel guilt for some of the things that we do because we know that Christ forgives us. The work that he did on the cross, you know this, right? It's eternal. Jesus Christ died on a cross long before you were a thought in your mom and dad's brain. You hear this? And, and, and he died willingly for your sins and for my sins even before we were known on this earth and he will continue to die upon that cross, if you will, for all of our sins after we become alive, even after we become Christians. And, and because of that, we are growing and we don't walk with shame or condemnation because God forgives us through Jesus Christ and we repent, church word alert, we repent and go back to where God is because that's all that repent means is to turn back and follow God. So growing people change and we see that in our own lives and this allows us to suffer long with people in the room. When there are morons and yes, there are some morons in the room, don't raise your hand and don't point at anyone. But yes, there are some people in the room who just don't get it and we've been patient with them. We've suffered long with them. We, we pray for them, like, with cuss words in the prayers and everything. Like, we're like, Lord, you got it, something with this guy. Yeah, that's a real thing. <laughs> we believe that God can change them. And that the person that they are today is not the person that God wants them to be and is forever changing them. And so last week, Joe got up and talked about this idea. And I love his take on it. He took this idea that it's not just growing people change, as in the singular, like growing person changes, but growing people like groups of people. And then he drew this parallel between um, the greatest group of people, which I would say is the church of Jesus Christ, that growing people groups, growing churches change. And then he just kind of threw out there that we as a church are going through some growing pains, yes? I met a guy today, this morning, before I walked up here visiting. I said, are you going to make it into overflow? And his son who brought him said, I don't think so. <laughs> like, they're in, they're in overflow right now. They're not even in the main room. We, we have a need for space. We know that. And we're changing. And we're going to be suffering long with each other while we do this. Um, just If I could just stop right here and just say something. Um, 
we had a, a church council meeting on Wednesday. The church council is a group of people um, elected by the church body who sit with me once a month and we overlook the church finances. And we've been watching the finances really close as we've been trying to, to get a launching point when we can actually start the construction of the third floor. And you guys have been hearing about this, this count me in campaign. We're trying to start the construction on the third floor. You guys hear this, right? Right. I think we're there. I think we're there. So all that to say is I will probably in the next few weeks, you'll be hearing me say something like we're going to have a family meeting. It'll probably be in an evening, maybe a Tuesday night. We don't have the dates figured out, but we'll call all the church members in. I will lay out before you the plan that myself and the church council and everyone has come up with, how we're going to fund what we're going to do, what we're going to do when we do what we do. And then you guys as members, you get to go like this or like this and you pick. Right? You guys decide what we want to do. I believe God is calling us to grow into a bigger space. I believe God wants more people to come. I, I'm fine with that. But you guys have to help us make that decision. So anyways, growing people change. The church is changing, and we're thankful for that, which then brings us to our final core value, and here it is, um, loving people serve. And like all of the values, I could probably point to Scripture um, to support all of them. But this one in particular is almost too easy. <laughs> it's like, I think anyone would find this one. So um, in your Bible, in John chapter 13, John says something here um, as he records Jesus' words in verse 34 and 35. And, and this is really the, the crux of this core value. Jesus Christ speaking to his disciples on the eve of his arrest and execution. I mean, this is the end of his ministry here on the earth. He's a, he, he will be arrested later tonight and crucified by tomorrow. I mean, this is where we're at. And he, he speaks to his disciples, verse 34, and he says, a new commandment I give to you. Now, let me pause right here real quick. A commandment. Now, now I want you to know that word carries with it a little more weight than maybe you and I want to, I mean, a command is a command. I get it. I command my children to obey me. It's 50% of the time they obey, right? But there's commands there. But this for the Jewish mind and the Jewish culture and to these Jewish men, it meant something else. That a commandment meant something. It's like how you have relationship with God. When Moses came down from Mount Sinai with 10 commandments, he basically said this, we are going to be God's people. He is going to be our God. And this is the contract, 10 commandments. It's a wedding contract. And you follow those commands. So when Jesus says a new commandment I give to you, he's saying, this is how you have relationship through with God through this. And he says, a new commandment I give to you that you should love one another just as I have loved you. You also should love one another. And he adds this very famous passage. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples. He says, by this, you are marked. All people will know that you belong to me, that you are mine, that you follow me. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples. If you what? If you love one another. So I think it's easy for us to say that if we are, in fact, disciples of Christ, if we are followers of Christ, if we are Christians, whatever language you want to use, use, then you would at first admit that you should be lovers of people. Yes? Yeah, yeah, I'll say yes. The answer is yes. Yes, we should love people. That's what he's saying. And particularly, just may I remind you, he's talking to believers here. He's, talk, he's like, you guys love these guys. And these guys, you love these guys. It's each other in this room love each other first. That's what he's saying. 
But it's not just love in any non-specific way. Jesus goes on to give an example of what he's saying. He says, back in 34, it says, a commandment I give to you, you should love one another. How? Just as I have loved you. So the work that we do now is, you know, Bible students, is we ask the question, well, how then did Jesus love us? I mean, how? The, the greatest example of this is probably the, the cross of Jesus, that he was willing to give us his life. You and I, sinful people, yes, all in agreement. Yes, we're all sinful people. We sin against God. And because of that sin, then, then judgment or punishment is due for us. Yet Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came and loved us and served us in a way that he gave his life for us on a cross. So you should love others just as I have loved you. How did he love us? By serving us, by giving his life away. Oh, the stakes are ginormous here. I was praying this morning with some friends. We come in every Sunday and pray. And I said these words. I said, I hate passages like this. And I'm going to preach for a few more minutes before I'm done. But um, I hate passages like this because it sometimes feels like, like I'm, I'm standing up here with some sort of authority trying to tell you guys to do more. That you're somehow failing at this and you need to try harder and, and et cetera. And I always, always I, I never like the, I said hate, I don't want to say hate in here, but, but I don't like messages like that where it makes people feel guilt for not doing enough, right? And yet, I don't want to be the one to bring um, conviction to you. And yet I fully believe that the Holy Spirit, who is very much God, who is very much in this room, if he speaks to you, about something in your life that he doesn't want you to do or he wants you to do more of, then you listen to him, not me. Safe place? I never want to be a person who just takes the dice of religion and throws them out on your life and just says, do better, try more, and sprinkle all of that. I don't want that for you. That stuff's enslaving. It's grotesque. It's harmful. What I want to do is point to scripture to say that Jesus says you should love other people like I loved you. Well, how did you love us, Jesus? He goes, you watch. Tomorrow you'll know. You'll know tomorrow. And he even, John even gives us this really great example um, at the first part of chapter 13. And that's where we'll spend most of our time. It's verses 1 through 17. Um, As you turn there, I just want (coughs) to... I want to read the passage, the entirety of the passage, all verses, 1 through 17. I want to pray for us, and I really hope God speaks to us. Is that okay if I do that? I'm kind of amped up, up here today. I, don't, I, just, I, show, I shared with Joe this morning, I'm a little anxious, and um, I'm an anxious person sometimes by nature. But I've learned that when anxiety hits me on Sundays, it's usually not anxiety. It's something greater than that. It's like God is doing something. That's not me trying to say it's going to be awesome even if I suck. That's not what I'm saying. (laughs) I'm just saying, like, I really believe God wants to do something today. Okay. Verse 1, chapter 13 says, Now, before the feast of the Passover, which is the Last Supper that we talk about, When Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world and return to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. 
Now, during supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and he was going back to God, And so he rose from the supper, he laid aside his outer garments or his jacket, and he took a towel or an apron and tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and he began to wash the disciples' feet. And he wiped them with the towel that he had wrapped around his waist. He came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? And Jesus answered, what I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand Well, Peter said to him, well, you shall never wash my feet, (laughs) Peter, (laughs) right? (laughs) Jesus answered him, if I don't wash your feet, then you have no share with me. You have no place with me, he says. And Simon Peter says then, well, then, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus said to him, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet. And we'll talk about that in a little bit. But that person is completely clean. Skip down to verse 12 real quick. It said, when he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I have just done to you? Do you understand what I've done? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for that's who I am. There's people that say, Jesus never claims to be God in the Bible. Whatever. (laughs) Just saying, (laughs) right? He's right there. You call me Lord, capital L, Lord. You're right. That's who I am, right? But if then I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should also that you should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. And if you know these things, blessed or happy are you if you do them. So let's just pray. There's some really great stuff in there. Um, it'll, it'll make sense, I believe. So let's pray. God, we thank you for everything that you do for us. We thank you again for your son, Jesus, throughout which, uh, through which ra- rather we have a relationship with you, that we don't come to you on, on our merits or our works because we, we really have nothing to offer you. But through your son, Jesus, we have a relationship with you. Through the, the death and resurrection of your son, Jesus, we come to you and we pray to you now knowing that you hear us. So God, we thank you for Jesus. And Jesus, we thank you for the Holy Spirit that you sent to um, indwell us, to equip us, to teach us, to comfort us, and as the Bible tells us, to convict us of our sin. Sin just being doing those things, Lord, that you do not want for our lives. And so we thank you that the Holy Spirit would come, that he would speak to our lives, that we would feel encouraged in the words that he speaks. God, we pray that you bless the rest of our time together. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Interesting thing. This is John's gospel. John's one of the disciples. I don't remember all the other names, and I'm certain, maybe some of you do, but I remember John and a couple others. But he was probably the youngest disciple. In fact, most scholars believe that John was probably 16, 17 years old when he was following Jesus. All of the other fishermen were a little bit older, a little more gruff than him. He's just this young, ruddy kid chasing after Jesus and everything that he did. 
And in fact, in this gospel, John repeatedly talks to himself like in the third person and he would say things like, you know, the one Jesus loved the most, the one Jesus loved, he was talking about himself. There's this picture that Jesus really loved John the most. Maybe we could call him like a best friend, the closest person to him. In fact, one of the gospels records for us is that Jesus is hanging on the cross, literally having just been nailed to the cross. Jesus sees his mother and John, and he talks to them, and he says, Mom, this is now your son. And he says, John, this is now your mother. Care for her. I mean, he, he literally leaves his mom with, with John. I mean, they, they had this really tight relationship. And John's gospel is a little unique. And if you give me permission to just nerd out for a minute, is that okay? Please? <laughs> yes, thank you. Um, the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the four gospels, they tell the life and death of Jesus Christ. They're the story of Jesus. The other Bible um, books and stories kind of point to Jesus, but the gospels in particular tell the stories of Jesus. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are what we call synoptic gospels. Has anyone ever heard the word synoptic before? It just means the same viewpoint. Syn, like synonym, same type of word, an optic view or eye. Synoptic means it's telling the stories of Jesus similarly, all from the same vantage point. But John's gospel is completely unique. It's different and in fact, that story that I just read from John's gospel is not even count or recorded in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. They all record the final meal. They all record the Passover meal. They all record um, the, the breaking of bread and the snap. But John's gospel point, uh, paints a different picture for us. And some would argue that John wrote his gospel after all of the other gospels had been written. After Matthew wrote his, Mark wrote his, Luke wrote his, and Acts and all that stuff. And then John comes along having read those, or at least have been familiar with those, and he writes his filling in the blanks, coloring it with a little commentary, so to speak. And so at that last supper, what Luke tells us is that the people had just been arguing, the disciples had just been arguing who is going to be the greatest, right? Of all of us here, when they write the history books about us, when people talk about us 2,000 years from now, which of us are going to be the greatest? In the middle of this argument as to who is the greatest, then John tells us, oh, in the middle of that, Jesus stands up, pushes his resume across the table. Listen to this. It says here in verse 3, Verse three, he pushes his resume across the table. Jesus, knowing that the father had given all things into his hands. Can anyone else say that? No. I will pastor you from up here. The answer is no. You do not have all things. No, the answer is no. Jesus knows that. I'm greater than all of them. God has given all things into my hands and I've come from God and I'm going back to God. He knows this now. He knows the full extent as to why he is here. He's greater than every person who has ever lived on the face of the earth, amen. Pushes that resume across the table, stands up and puts an apron on. And the disciples are like, what is happening here? Who's going to be the greatest? Who's going to be the greatest? Who's going to be the greatest? And Jesus goes, let me show you who the greatest is. And takes off his jacket, puts on an apron, fills a basin, and begins to wash the disciples' feet. He's giving them an example as to what it looks like to love people. John recorded for us that 
a new commandment I give to you, that you should love others just as I have loved you. He has been repeatedly for the last three, three and a half years giving them example after example of what it looks like, looks like to love others. And it looks like serving people. It just does. There's no other way to escape that. That's what love looks like. That's what the church is supposed to look like. It looks like it serves other people. And he takes this basin around and he begins to wash the disciples' feet. Now, this is kind of a strange thing, but I want, I want us to go back in our mind to what it was like to probably live in the, in the first century when the roads were all dirt roads and, and like livestock shared the road with you, right? So when you're walking on uh, the dirt road and you have open-toed sandals, you know what I'm talking about? And you get dust and other stuff on your feet, right? Because the ox are sharing the same road with you. And then you come to a meal and it's not like a meal at like Cheddar's or B-Dubs where you sit at a high top, right? And the wings are up here and your feet are way down here. They, they've kind of put all the food to the middle of the room and then reclined on pillows where their, where their grody toes are out there by the mashed potatoes. I'm just saying. Like how, how appetizing is this right now? And typically when you showed up to someone's house for a meal, they would have one of their servants wash your feet. This is not just a, an, a, an exercise of humility. This is, this is cleanliness. This is, this is almost like medically necessary or everyone's getting sick, right? This is another thing. And Jesus takes the position of that lowly house servant and begins to wash their feet. Now, whose feet does he wash? John tells us he washed all their feet. The disciples. The disciples, Guess who's included in with the disciples? I'll help you. His name is Judas. Judas. You don't have to have any understanding of church, church language, church people, but you at least have heard of this guy, Judas, right? No one even names their children Judas anymore because of this one Judas in history. Am I right? Judas betrayed Jesus for cash, sold him out had already done so at this point, had already met with the religious leaders, had already received his silver, had already put it in the bank. Now he's sitting down with Jesus have, acting like nothing's ever taken place. And Jesus, hear me, he knows this. If there's an enemy in the room, who is it? It's Judas. And what does Jesus do? He serves him. He loves him. Oh my goodness. I could stop. I could stop right here and let the Holy Spirit bring conviction upon us, the church, for not loving those people who at times feel opposed to the church. We sometimes think since they lobby false accusation and hate, we're somehow entitled to lobby it back. Lies. It's not true. It's not true. Elsewhere in the Bible, we read that it's God's loving kindness that turns people to repentance. Guess how God is showing loving kindness to the world today? Has anyone run into Jesus at Walmart? No. You know where his loving kindness in the world comes from today? It comes from you. It comes from me. That the spirit of God indwells me and I now am the hands and the feet of Jesus. I go and show love to others. I go and serve love to others. Those people who like me, no, everyone. 
I wonder what Judas thought when, when Jesus comes and begins. I'm just completely, leave that over there. Now I'll just talk to you. I don't, the Bible doesn't tell us what's going through Judas' mind. Let me ask you, have you betrayed the Lord before? Have you ever done that? Don't raise your hand. No, I feel guilty now. I see two guys. We'll form a club. I'll be the captain. <laughs> yes, yes. And then when the Lord comes alongside and, and loves us, despite the wicked and cruel things that we've done against him, it really breaks me. It, it really shatters me. It really places me in this position. Like, like if God is so willing to do that in my life, who am I to consider not being the same for someone else? And I think this is what Jesus is driving home as he says, again, a new commandment I give to you. You want to have a relationship with me? This command you obey. You love others just as I have loved you. You serve them. Loving people serve. Everyone coming in today was probably expecting me to lobby for some help in the kids' programs right? Loving people serve. Everyone should get involved at the church and serve, which I agree with. Amen. And I think the church is a wonderful uh, starting place. But do not let your service to others stop here in the church. For heaven's sake, please, I implore you, go love them. even those uh, opposed to Jesus. <laughs> oh, it's messy. I'm just telling you. It'll take you to places you never thought you'd be. And the Holy Spirit will rise up in you in a way that you've never... Th um, here's the reality. I've, I've prayed with many of you. says, man, I just want more of God in my life. I'm like, then you got to get out of this place. <laughs> All right, preach. I'm over. Verse six, he comes to Simon Peter, right? That guy. There's one, there's one in every group. So humble, he says, no, no, you can't wash my feet. So humble, he doesn't want him to wash his feet, yet so humble, he tells the God of the universe what he can and can't do. Anyone? Anyone? Comes to Peter and he says, you're going to wash my feet? Jesus says, yeah, what I'm doing, you do not understand, but you will soon. This is symbolic of what Jesus is going to do as far as cleansing us from sin and all of that. The death on the cross, the resurrection from the grave, all of that is, is hidden inside this moment with the disciples. He says, you're not going to, you don't understand what's happening now. And Peter said, well, then you're never going to wash my feet. If I can't understand it, then I don't want you washing my feet. And Jesus stomps his foot. I added that, didn't say that. But I picture this. Dang it, Peter. Listen, son. He says, unless, if, if I do not wash you, then you have no share with me. You have no place with me. Think about this. Pete, Jesus is telling Peter, there's a way to have share with him. There's a way, a singular way, and it involves me, quote unquote, washing your feet. But again, if that's just a metaphor for what Jesus is going to do on the cross and in the resurrection, then the, the same parallel carries through. There is a way 
to have a relationship or a share with God through his son Jesus. A way, a single way. It is I wash you. I wash you. I cleanse you. I make you new. And yet some of us in our false pride, false humility, I would argue, say, no, 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 I'll do it on my own. And Jesus says that will not work. You are so disciplined and I, I believe you some days. I believe you have every best intention to fix your junk so that God would be happy with you. I believe that. And for a while, you'll succeed. You'll be so great. You'll even put it on Facebook reminding everybody how great you are. I love you. But there'll come a day when you'll, go, when you'll grow weary or you'll grow weak. You'll have a bad day at work, a bad day with a spouse, a child, a wayward child does something and, and uh, 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 like, like a broken twig, it'll break, you'll shift and your life will, will forever go back to the way it used to be. And your relationship that you've restored back to God through all of your works just crumbles like a pile of cards. Jesus says, I'll wash you, I'll clean you, and then you'll be in a share with me. Then you'll be in relationship with me. And there's no other way, Peter. Do you hear me? Renaissance, do you hear him? Yes, there's no other way. I'm telling you guys, if you seat that in your heart, it'll be, it will be the most liberating thing you've ever experienced in all of your life. Jesus saves people. He saves them. He pulls them out of the pit. He washes them clean. He does all the work. It is actually not dependent upon you. Praise God. If I don't wash you, you have no share with me. Then Peter, as if ding dong, a light bulb goes off. He says, well, then don't just wash my feet, bro. Wash my hands and wash my head. I mean, let's just dip me all up in the water. <laughs> and I love this. Jesus says, well, the one who has been bathed does not need to be washed except in his feet. Now, those words sound the same, but they're not the same. The word bathed in the Greek, it's, it, it implies a, an event that's taken place and is completed and done. So the bathing is finished. That is done. Jesus bathes us. He washes us with his blood. We know that. But the, the washing of his feet, that's just like a, um, a returning again just to kind of clean up a little bit. The bathing's taking place. I've been saved through Jesus Christ, but every once in a while I, I go wayward like some of you and I return back to the Lord and that's just like a, a cleansing that God does in us through the Holy Spirit. We're not getting saved again and again and again. All right, too heavy for theology? I'll move on. That's what we believe, that we get saved once, not multiple times, All right? So Peter gets it. He understands it. Verse 12, and then after he'd washed all of their feet, he puts on his jacket, his outer garments again, and he resumes his place. And then he says, do you understand what I've done to you? Do you understand the significance of this moment? You call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, for so I am. And if I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. So at this point, I'd like the elders to come forward with our 
basins of water. And if you guys could just start loosening your shoelaces. Everybody's like, what? I mean, now hear me. I think there, there is some tradition that there's this moment. I know, especially in Passion Week and especially in the Eastern churches, Orthodox and even Roman Catholic, I think they have this thing called uh, Monday Thursday, if anybody's Roman Catholic and will remember this, where they would come together on um, Thursday nights and wash feet for one another. It's a wonderful exercise of humility, but I think what Jesus is saying goes beyond just this ritual of foot washing. I think it goes to the symbolic nature of what he's doing here. I'm serving you here. The greatest in the room is going to flip this idea upside down. See, we have this um, belief that to be great in this world, it means we, we, we gain a lot of significance. We gain a lot of stuff. We have a, a lot of things or whatever. And Jesus is beginning to show us the inverse or the upside down kingdom of God. Many of you have heard this before. If you want to be first in the kingdom, you must be last. Huh? Use that at the buffet table. I'm just saying <laughs> Right? The guy that goes first, you're like, uh-oh, no, no uh, bonus points in heaven for you. Because Jesus said you should be last. <laughs> and everybody's trying to be last. <laughs> no one will go at this point. But it's upside down. The greatest will humble himself. I I'm telling you what, this room is filled with great people, not because of who you are, but of who, who God is inside of you. There, there's truly nothing that we cannot do with the Spirit of Christ inside of us. I mean, literally nothing. There are people you think unlovable, you can hug. You can hug and love and embrace and endure. There are relationships that some of you have that you are, you are convinced they're over. And I'm telling you, with the Spirit of Christ inside of you, that thing is not even near dead. It can be restored. There's no question. What it re will require of you is to, for you to, <laughs> struggling, it will <laughs> require you to humble yourself, to, to put to death your fleshly desires to be right all the stinking time. Amen. He says, I have given you an example, verse 15, that you should do just as I have done to you. Just humble yourself before others. Verse 17, I'll, I'll wind up here. And he says, if you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Blessed, happy, could be translated there. Um, joy, a joy from the Holy Spirit would come to you for those of us who'd be willing to set aside our rightness for the sake of loving others. Did you know you can still love people when they're wrong? In fact, there's no mandate that says you have to prove them wrong before you love them. Did you know that? In fact, I might even argue, I don't know if right or wrong has anything to do with love at this point. I think it's just compassion and mercy and grace. Just just loving on people. I had, I had a couple other things I wanted to say, but I'm out of time. So if you guys will just stay here through the next service too. <laughs> we'll bring people in. They'll sit on your laps. I hope that's okay. <laughs> um, All right, let me, let me just stop. I'll just stop. I, I don't want to, is it okay if I stop? I just want to 
It's not muddy up the waters. Um, I want to pray for us. I, I want us to embody this value that we as a church have, um, that it would sort of be our mark, that if we go back to Jesus' words, John chapter 13, verse 34, 35, a new commandment I've given to you, that you would love one another just as I have loved you. Remind ourselves that he served us, that our love for other people involves serving them. You know how you can serve them sometimes? You can serve others by helping them grow in their faith. I love infantile Christians, baby Christians, as are some of you in this room. New believers, like this Jesus thing is brand new to me. And you're like wide-eyed, crazy about it. Like, man, a leaf blew across my window. Do you think that was God? I'm like, you have no idea, do you? Like, you have no idea. Of course it was God. No, I'm just kidding. Maybe it was. I don't know. But how do you hear the voice of God? And so we come alongside. We love them. We serve them. We teach them. We train them. We exercise long-suffering for those who harm us and speak bad against us. Can I ask you guys to pray for me? I have a, um, uh, dang it. I'm holding something against a few people and I act like I'm not. When I see them out in public, I'm all smiles, whatever. But as soon as I turn my back, I'm like, I'm holding something against someone. I have not forgiven them. When the band comes up and we're going to do some praying, would you pray for me? Like, I have to let that go because it's destroying me. It's destroying relationships I have with people around those people. I've become an, an island unto myself because of hatred towards people. Have I told you I'm a pastor? I pastor a church and I'm struggling with this. But I wonder how many others of us are struggling through some of that too. There's just something in, in your life that you're just trying to connect. And it's just this idea, you've got to let something go. In fact, I'll, I'll, I'll say it right now. I think there's people in this room that you, there are people in this room you know people that you have to forgive too. And it's, it's, it's only when that happens will you be able to exemplify the love for them. Will we be able to follow Jesus' example and serve them? But my, my need to be right in this particular situation, oh, and by the way, I'm right. <laughs> Let the record show. No, it doesn't matter. At this point, I don't even care. I just need to forgive. So that's all I'm saying. And maybe for some of you that you need something similar to break free in your life. So what we do every week at Renaissance after I'm done yelling at you for 25 minutes or so is we have the band come back up and we have music start again and it's worship songs. If you have any understanding of what church life looks like, there's songs about Jesus sung to Jesus and declaration of who he is. It's a wonderful moment. And for many of you, you'll begin to sing these songs in adoration and worship to Jesus. But there'll be others like myself who will spend this next 15 minutes praying that the God of the universe will change something today. I don't know about you. I can't wait another day. It has to change today. It has to. And so I'll pray that 
God, help me forgive others. If you would pray for me, I'll pray for you that whatever God is talking to you about, how to love people better, how to serve people better, that the Holy Spirit will tell you what to do. And then you'll feel no shame or condemnation in that, but a Holy Spirit conviction to then go do that. Hmm. Yes? This is always my favorite part, like when people are just staring back at me and they're like, uh, is he done yet? I got to go to the bathroom. <laughs> I, I think I am done. I think I am actually. So again, one of the things we don't do well here is end. We don't finish well. I just, I'm done. There it is. So I'll pray for us and the band will come back. Um, God, we love you so much. Thank you for our time together. You are so good to us, faithful is the word that the Bible uses time and time again. You are faithful to us. And when we let you down, I still picture you stooping to wash Judah's feet. And when I make promises to do this better, to try this, to never do that again, and when I fail, I picture you washing Judah's feet. I picture you speaking to Peter saying that unless I wash you, you have no share with me. I picture you speaking to me, Jeff, unless you let me cleanse you. By the shedding of my own blood, you will have no place with me. God, we thank you for what you've done. Jesus had no, had no reason to die on a cross. He didn't deserve it, Lord, but he chose it for our sake. He chose it for my sake. God, I thank you for that. God, I ask that you would be with us the rest of our time of worship, that you would speak to us, that we would find others to pray with and for, that you would knit us to be um, a church of people who do everything because of Jesus, trusting that you're growing us and causing us to change and making us to be the people that serve others by loving them, God. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Have a great week. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. Together we can reach the heart of Decatur. And if you'd like to be a part of that, go to rendicator.org backslash give and make a commitment to be a part of showing the people of the city of Decatur the truth of Jesus and how much he loves them.